We have a very special guest with us this morning, uh, but before I introduce him, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. And our text this morning comes from the book of Micah in the Old Testament, um, chapter 7, beginning in verse 7 um, through verse 20, the end of the chapter. That can be found in the Blue Bibles on page 455. And as we always remind you, if you do not have a Bible at home, um, we not only invite you, but we encourage you to take one home with you. Um, We want to be sure that every single one of you have the Word of God in your home. So please take it with you and open it and read it. We uh, encourage you to do so. Micah chapter 7, verses 7 through 20. Hear the Word of the Lord. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day the boundary shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Thus says the word of the Lord. You guys can be seated. Um, it's our great privilege this morning to have Wes White with us. 
Um, Wes, as most of you know, is one of the missionaries that we support here as a church. And Wes has been faithfully serving the Lord, either as a pastor or, or on the mission field, uh, his entire adult life. Um, he's pastored many, many years. He's been involved in missions for 30 years or so. And Wes is currently the associate director of World Hope Ministries International um, for all of East Africa. And so I had the great privilege last month of traveling with Wes uh, to East Africa, um, as I've already shared about, um, and getting to see um, up close and firsthand the work that he does um, in countries all over East Africa. We were, we were in Malawi uh, on this last trip. Um, Wes is leaving in about a week or so to go to Rwanda. I think that will be his eighth trip to Africa this year. Um, and he is over there training and teaching pastors, um, helping them to learn the scriptures, helping them to plant churches, and just doing an incredible work of God over there. And it's our great, great privilege to have him here with us this morning and to bring the word uh, for us. So, Wes, I invite you to come up. And would you guys welcome Wes as he comes to share the word? It's a joy to be with you and to see you again. Oh, no. It's not very bright here. (laughs) I'm going to sit this. So, like Pastor Dave said, I had the opportunity to travel to Malawi with him uh, a few weeks ago. It was a great joy. He's a great travel companion. If you want to know what he's like outside of the church setting, I'm going to give you a few hints. Because we stayed in the same apartment. Um, we sweat together and taught together and traveled together um, through some rough territory. And... Uh, Here's, here's what he's like in a nutshell. Okay? He's very, very studious. He's either got a book in his hand or he's on his phone. And I thought, man, he is on the phone. He's just, he's reading and absorbing. Well, he actually has video games on that phone, I come to find out. So, uh, that's a, but he, but he is, he is a, a great, great brother in Christ, a wonderful teacher. And did a fantastic job. You would never know that it was his first time to teach with us. He did a great job. I repeatedly, and this is for Dave or anything else, I repeatedly made the comment on this last trip. I have a, I have an NASB Bible. I usually teach from the NASB. And I have an NASB Bible. It's small. It's a thin one. And I have, I haven't gotten old, but my eyes have aged. Let me say it that way. And I repeatedly said, I don't know why I'm carrying such a small Bible. So I, while I was there, one night I got enough signal. I got on Amazon and I ordered a Bible. Now, buddy, I got a Bible now. I, you can see this thing from the first row. So uh, 
I'm happy with the Bible that I have here. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's perfect. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your church and serve your church as a missionary. Um, I take that responsibility very, very seriously. Just so you'll know and understand, this year has been a banner year for World Hope in East Africa. As of uh, two days ago, we have opened 50 new Bible Institute location, locations throughout East Africa this year. This year. 50 new Bible Institute locations. It's unbelievable what God is doing. So much so I had to go to the office and ask for more money. And they said, why do you need more money? I said, yeah, well, look what we're doing. And so they said, okay. So, so we just got a little bit more, uh, funds for our staff, for our African partners and that type of stuff. But God is, God is blessing and moving. And uh, you are directly a part of that. You share in that process because, not just because you give, but because you pray and you're engaged in our ministry. And I take that very, very seriously. Um, I want to be a part of your lives and I want you to be a part of my life. I've had some, I've had some memorable times, uh, receiving the Lord's Supper. But I suppose maybe one of the most impactful happened just a few moments ago because it took me totally unaware. Never seen this. As I came forward and to receive the elements, I tore off a, a bit of the bread, and I've done that lots of times. I've, I've, in 40 years of ministry, I think I've taken communion pretty much any way you can imagine, to be honest with you. But as I tore off a piece of that bread, Ellie said to me, Ellie, right? Very quietly, under her breath, she said, this is his body broken for you. Now you may grow accustomed to that. You may hear that often. But it made it so personal in that moment, Pastor. Suddenly it wasn't something I consider to be very sacred and very holy, but it was personal. This is His body broken for you. Don't let it lose its impact. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. By His stripes we are healed. Don't let that get lost in the regularity of your worship. That was free. That's not in the notes. It just impacted me. And I wanted you to know. So this passage that we're looking at today, you may say to yourself, Micah? We're in Micah? The only book that gets preached less probably is Obadiah. I don't think anybody preaches from Obadiah. But I don't know why. Obadiah is a good book, but, uh, but it's, I, but Micah. Actually, Micah is full of wonderful biblical truth. About a third of Micah is given to the exposing of the sin of Israel and specifically Judah. 
About a third of it is, is given in exposing sin. About a third of it is given in a warning for impending judgment. And about a third of it is given to restoration. Hope in restoration. I love that balance. I love the way this book is written. Because you see, we need to, when we share the gospel, we need to share all aspects of the gospel. When I teach soteriology, we start, and Dave knows, we start with the bad news before the good news. You have to, you have to share that there are, there are sins that are going to separate you from God, and there are consequences for those sins, and that we're all sinners. And so you can't get away from this. And I, I love the way that Micah, uh, he, he kind of opens up in the, the first chapter. If you have your Bibles open to Micah, the first chapter, the ninth verse, tells us uh, quite simply that Israel has, uh, Judah has an incurable wound. It has an incurable wound, verse one, chapter 1, verse 9. For her wound is incurable, for it is come to Judah. It has reached the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. What was that incurable wound? That's a, that's a powerful, that's a powerful statement. Don't, again, I don't want to sound too much like what I do when I teach here, but don't jump over words. Pause and think them through. Incurable means that it can't be cured. Okay, now we're gonna see, we're gonna see restoration before this chapter is over with, and I'm gonna focus on verse 18, 19, and 20. But here at the very opening, he's saying to the people, he's going to later say there is restoration. He's saying your wound is incurable. So is that a a dichotomy? Is he speaking out of both sides of his mouth? No, because I'm I'm actually going to take you to a a biblical reality, a theological reality in a few minutes, that all sin is incurable. Okay? You can't. Just take a an elixir. It isn't just going to get swept aside. And Israel's sin was not swept aside. There were consequences for the sin. And God warned them fairly and justly. God warned them for centuries. He warned them of their sin. He was patient. We're going to look at a passage in Psalms 103 in a minute. But he was patient and tolerant and warned them again and again. But now there has come to this moment. Micah's writing. He's a contemporary with Isaiah. And he's writing and he's telling them, you've you've got an incurable wound. And and you're going to have, there are consequences and you're going to have to pay. There's a price that will be paid. He goes on now, after he's told us of the impending judgment, then he tells us of what those sins are. In 2.2, he tells us greed and injustice punctuate their purposes. They They live in a greedy land. They're rebellious, they're idolatrous, and they live 
as greedy people in a greedy land. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. They covet fields and then seize them and houses and take them away. They rob a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. And so Micah's saying, look, your incurable wound is rebellion and idolatry. It's greed and injustice. Chapter 3, verses 1 and verse 5 tell us that there are ungodly leaders in their government and in their churches. Chapter 7, verse 2. Look with me at chapter 7, verse 2. The godly person has perished from the land and there is no upright person among them. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. Here he's saying, look, hopelessness is beginning To rise up. The godly have all perished. In verse 7, 3, look, he says, Concerning evil, both hands do it well. The prince asks also the judge for a bribe, and a great man speaks the desire of his soul. Let me kind of unpack that for you. Here's what he's saying. He said, you've gotten so proficient at doing evil that you're ambidextrous. You can, you can sin with either hand. Both hands do it well. There was another time that the sinfulness of man was described in this way in Genesis 6 where it says that the thought of man always was sin and evil. And here Micah is calling them to account and saying, you become so proficient at sinfulness, and especially in injustice. Look, look at what he says. This is the prince ask, also the judge for a bribe, and a great man speaks the desires of his soul. Everybody's conniving, wanting to get what they want to get, working their side deals, making it all work out for them. I couldn't help But think as I read that list and kind of went over this context from Micah. Boy, it kind of sounds like someplace else I know. I don't know. You you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But maybe you do. Maybe rebellion and idolatry may be something that we can see in this nation. The idolatry of man worshiping himself. Maybe we're living in a world where greed and injustice punctuate our purposes. Maybe we've almost become hopeless because sinfulness is so rampant and it feels like the devil's winning. It feels like we're losing. And we're not sure whether we can win or not. And that's the context that we come to. Micah is saying that judgment is coming. He's filled us with powerful imagery. He talks about the removal of the blessing and protection of God, of pain, of suffering, of being overrun and defeated. Judgment is imminent. One of the purposes for prophecy 
is to give a hope in the midst of bad times. Here we see that Micah can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You say, wait, I haven't heard any light that you said yet. Now look with me at verse 7. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Where is hope? To quote an old hymn of the church, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Micah said, in the midst of imminent judgment, which they would go into judgment, just even, even as he is proclaiming this, he starts and they've not yet, Israel's not been carried away to Assyria, but during his time of prophecy, Israel is going to be carried away, and just at the end of his life, Judah is going to be carried away into Babylon. The judgment is going to come. Micah knows that judgment is going to come, but what is his outlook? Hope in a hopeless moment. Hope in a hopeless moment. Why does he have hope in a hopeless moment? Because he knows the character and the nature of the God that he serves. I submit to you that in the day we live in today, our focus does not need to be on the newspaper. It doesn't need to be on the news. It needs to be on the hope of the character and nature of God Almighty. For when we turn our eyes towards our hope in Christ, then we can become the witnesses this world needs. Now, I'm a southern boy. I know y'all consider yourself southern here in Lubbock. But listen, I was raised so far south, I thought Montgomery, Alabama was Yankee land. Okay? (laughs) <laughs> I grew up in the red in the red clay and gullies of South Alabama. And every once in a while we just kind of get on a soapbox. So let me get on one for a second. I won't be back for another year probably. So I'll get on a soapbox. Brother Mark can call me and go, You're out of line. I'm sick of ty- sick and tired of Christians having the mully grubs. I'm sick and tired of Christians whining, oh poor me. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen to our country. Oh, Israel's going to get blown away. Israel's not going to get blown away. God's going to redeem his people. Your only responsibility is to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Not fret over it. Let me tell you something. I know my God will hear me. Not because I deserve it. Not because I've done something that makes me... Listen to me. I'm the most unspecial person you will meet. I'm the son of a worm farmer. Now there's a heritage for you. 
Some of y'all, you got impressive pedigrees. My daddy moved us when I was 14 to Kansas to raise worms. I started high school as a worm farmer's son. And he rented a billboard and put a wiggling worm that made a W for White's Worm Ranch. How would you like to start 10th grade like that? I'm not impressive. In fact, I'm weak. My hope is only this, that when I am weak, then He'll be strong. And He'll be glorified in the midst of my weakness. But I'm not hopeless. Why? Look at what He says. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. Why? Because my God hears me. Do you get that? Your God hears you. Quit crying. Quit mullygrubbing. Quit getting out there and telling the world it's all going to fall apart. Your God hears you. We're going to find out what that means in just a second. So we ought to all just click our heels and skip out of this place this morning. Now, if I tried to click my heels, I'm 62 years old just about, you would have to call my wife and say, I'm in the emergency room. Which is not the first time that I would have fallen. If you remember last year I was here and had my arm all... Hitched up because I just had shoulder surgery. So, you know, I'm I'm proficient at falling. I'm, I'm very good at it. I, I'm, I'm working on my PhD on um, on displacements. So, but oh, what a thought! Oh, what a thought! I I can wait expectantly because I know who God is, and I know He hears me. And, and yes, Micah is speaking to the, to the people of Judah. And he's telling them, he's already told them, you're gonna pay. But here's the beauty. God still cares. God knows. And God hears you. In fact, God is gonna hold to his covenant promises, which is what he's gonna talk about for the next several verses. He's going to keep His covenant promises of provision and protection and even expansion. Because God hears you and God cares for you. So what Judah, that's what Micah's saying to Judah. He goes on then to say, God who I hope and trust in, shepherd me. Shepherd me. Verse Number 16, shepherd your people with your scepter, the flock of your possession, which dwells by itself in the woodland in the midst of the fruitful field. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old. By the way, Bashan and Gilead were two of the most fertile regions of Israel when they first went into the land and began to uh, take Canaan. But it is interesting. Are you looking? Remember I told you don't skip over any words? He said, shepherd your people with your staff. Look at it. 
Look at it. Shepherd your people with your... What is that word? Come on, you can speak. It's all right. What is the word? Not in the original language, it's not. It's scepter. In the original language, it's scepter. Why is that significant? Because he is... What Mike is doing is he's actually giving us a prophetic glimpse that changes this passage from just a passage directed towards is to Judah at that moment but now he's moving us ahead to an ultimate solution the one who will shepherd with a scepter is the good shepherd who is also the king For a shepherd doesn't use a scepter. A shepherd doesn't use a scepter. He uses a staff. Shepherd your people with your scepter. The flock of your possession, which dwells by itself in the woodland, in the midst of a fruitful field. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of the old. He said, restore us again. Some of you, some of you may need to hear this this morning. I love the way that Pastor Mark started communion and talked about it as a, as a means of grace. Some of you may have had a rough week. One of my favorite things to do when I pastored was to um, to stand. We had glass doors that looked off to the parking lot. Now that can be encouraging, can be discouraging if it's a bad Sunday. But my favorite thing to do was to watch how people got out of cars, especially families. How families got out of cars. Because how they acted getting out of the car was not always representative of the way they would act once they got into the church. They would come through the doors of that church. Hi, Pastor. How you doing? The children. Hey, Brother Wes. And they're all smiles. But man, I'm watching them. Four doors fling open. Four people pile out. Four doors slam. Get in there. Hi, Pastor. And sometimes church becomes not a safe place where you can be who you are and can experience what you need. It's a place where you are. You hide what's going on. You hide what's in your life. The hope that is in this passage is this. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you've laid it at the foot of the cross, I believe there's a verse of Scripture, help me, I think David is in, um, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think the verse right before it said, if we say we have no sin, we lie. 
Then go something like that. Maybe, maybe, maybe First John one eight and nine, something like that. And then chapter two, verse one: If any man sins, he has a advocate with the Father. I think it says something like that. See, here's the reality: we are called to live a holy life, and we are draped in flesh. And we need the persistent grace of God every day of our lives. And if we come in here acting like we're the holiest thing on the planet, can I just be honest with you? You're not fooling anybody. You're not fooling anybody. Shepherd us with your... Shepherd your people with your scepter. Let me get to... Now that's all introduction. Aren't you excited? Just three verses. I'll make them quick. I have a handful of points. They won't take long. Now the other day, Dave and I were there. Dave will attest to this to be the absolute truth. It was our second day of teaching in Kasiya, Malawi. We had taught eight hours all day long. I came in and just taught one the last hour. I mean, Dave had been hauling the wood. I'd been out having meetings, setting up new locations. God was blessing. Dave was working. He was teaching. He was sweating. He had done, I mean, he'd done a great job. And Charles, our, our regional coordinator from Malawi, Charles Mawasi, he had been teaching. And I come in the last, the last hour and I, I teach that last hour. And we're, and I mean, it's eight hours. Wouldn't hardly take a break. Break about 15 minutes for lunch. And I said, well, bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless you. Nobody moved. Eight hours. Nobody moved. I immediately thought of Ezra in the book of Nehemiah where he stood. And he read the law all day long. All day long. Let me tell you right now, the church I pastored went out for 12 years. I could preach as long as I want to. They were leaving when they were leaving. All day long. Eight hours. They wouldn't move. I said, what, y'all, you're dismissed. And, and the chairman said, they don't want to go. They want more. Well, I've only got about an hour and a half left. No, I'm just kidding. So, look, you're on comfortable seats, aren't they, Dave? You're on, man, they had this thing. We were set on it. It looked so good. It was covered with cloth. I thought it was so, I plopped down on the first day. It was a hard wooden bench. It covered up with cloth. I, I, that's what they sat on all day. But let me just unpack these last three verses. I don't have time to do the whole book of Micah. Make it something you study. I'm telling you. It is a powerful book. Let me unpack these last three verses. And he starts off by saying his name. Look at verse 18. What's the first phrase of verse 18? Who is a God like you? Do you know that's what Micah means? That is actually what his name means. It's a play on words. And he's saying, Micah. Now, why does that matter? Because look at the next thing he says. Who is God like you? 
Who pardons iniquity? Micah. God pardons your iniquities. I love love that. Can I just put Wes there? Instead of Micah, instead of who is a God like you, Wes, God pardons your iniquities. Would you just let that sink in for a second? God pardons your iniquities. How many, can I, can I ask you right quick, how many of your iniquities? I'm sorry? All of them? So far, right? No. All of them. You see, when the work of Calvary was completed and He redeemed you, when you came to know Him as Lord and Savior, He pardoned all your iniquities. He finished the work of redemption in that moment. If you ever let that kind of get in here, I, I, I know, I know, this may not be totally acceptable, but... I was raised assemblies of God. And when I let that get inside of me, just He pardons Wes, He pardons your iniquities, there's a little bit of an urge to get wound up. There's a little bit of something inside of me that wants to just shout. Because that word iniquity in its original language means crooked stick. Your bentness, your propensity towards sin. Not just your sin, your propensity towards sin. He pardons my tendency towards sin. Not only has He forgiven what I've done, He's forgiven me for the very nature of who I am. Ooh. Are you getting it? Has it got there yet? Who is a God like our God? He's not asking if our God is better than any other God. There is no, there is no idol worship in Micah's world. What he's saying is there's no God like our God. Who pardons our iniquities. I love that. It was such a beautiful word. It means not only to forgive, but it means to absolve. Completely, totally free from guilt and punishment. And never the right to bring it up again. When you are, did you know when you're pardoned, you can't ever be tried for that again. You're pardoned. Holy smoly. Wait, wait a minute now. If He pardoned all my iniquities from the moment that I became His child, then that means nothing can be brought up again. Does that mean I can just go on doing anything I want to do? Absolutely not. Romans chapter 6 says, Shall we sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. Why? Because you don't want to anymore. I talk to a lot of people who think they're saved, but they've never been changed. Salvation is a change. 
It changes you radically. And when, when God saves you, notice, I'm going to choose my words carefully. When God saves you, we, we want, and I'm going to get to this in just a minute because I'm, I'm not too far away from closing this all up. Now, I'm not going to say in conclusion, because I teach in expository preaching, that when you say in conclusion, you must conclude or you become a liar. So I'm careful not to say in conclusion till I'm ready to conclude. But I am going to wrap it up in just a minute, couple of minutes. But look, God is the one that works salvation on your behalf. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God put the chastisement of our peace upon His Son. God was pleased to bruise His Son. First, 2 Corinthians 5.21 And He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, so that we might have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God is the initiator of your salvation. Why? Because sometimes people want to put the God of the Old Testament is God, and the God of the New Testament is Jesus, and I want you to know something. It is God who is at work to will and to do His good purposes in you. And it's the same God then that is today. Pardons our iniquities. Passes over our rebellious acts. But I love this next part. He tramples our iniquities. It's not just that He pardons my iniquities. He does a dance on our sins. He tramples our iniquities underfoot. Down in Alabama, we'd say it this way. He stomps a mud hole in them. He tramples Man, it isn't enough. But once he's finished with them, what does he do? Once he's, once he's pardoned them, he's passed over them, he's trampled them, what does he do? He throws them into the sea. Oh, I wish you would get this. How absolute is God's saving work? How beautiful is this? And you say, yeah, but Brother West, let's remember now. Micah's talking about Judah. You're right, he is. And he's giving them a promise of restoration. Didn't notice just a minute ago, I, I drew your attention to look forward. The shepherd who's shepherds with the scepter, we're looking forward. Why? Because every man has an incurable Sin. First, that passage, chapter 1, verse 9. We all have an incurable sin. We can't fix it. We're not powerful enough. We're not strong enough. And this entire passage is from the moment that he transitions and says, shepherd your flock with your scepter, from that moment he is pointing us to the cross of Calvary. 
He's telling us that our incurable sin can be cured. Wait, 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 wait. How can incurable be cured? By putting the disease on someone else. My incurable sin, my devastating unrighteousness. He took that. He can't overlook it. He's holy. He's righteous. He can't overlook it. But he takes it. He pours out the fullness of his wrath upon that sin. He pours out the fullness of his wrath on to his son. And that incurable sin has been placed on his son. And it kills him. It's uncurable. But it doesn't stay dead. Ooh, you want to have fun? Read Hebrews. Hebrews will get you excited. You know what? You know what the difference between all those bleating lambs and and whining little doves that, that are constantly being sacrificed, they're once for once. But we have a great high priest who has entered into the Holy of Holies. He's taken His own blood. And because of the resurrection, He offers for us an eternal sacrifice that is new every morning and fresh and alive. Who is a God like you? Wes, He pardons your iniquities. He passes over the rebellious acts of His remnant possession. By the way, you're His possession. He doesn't retain His anger forever because He delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins. <laughs> Did you see this? He changed person. He changed person from you to He. <coughs> he changed. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread all our iniquities from underfoot. Yes, you, not he any longer, you will cast all all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. And here Micah is saying this, not only will this work for me, this will work for you. This will work for you too. For whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I was reading an article the other day. How can a person know that they're saved? How can you know that you're saved? How how can you know that you're part of the elect? Whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How can I know? If I have faith, If I trust in His grace through faith, if I wholly put my trust and hope in Him and Him alone, 
I'm saved. About every month, I get a report. I get reports back from every location. I now have 125 Bible Institute locations throughout East Africa that I have oversight of. About once a month, I get reports back, and here's what they say. At the conclusion of soteriology, nine pastors gave their heart to Jesus. Thirty pastors gave their heart to Jesus. We had one where sixty pastors gave their heart to Jesus. Why would pastors need to give their heart to Jesus? Because they had never trusted Christ for their salvation. They trusted themselves. They trusted their works. They trusted their ability to live rightly. We give an entrance and an exit survey. This was astounding to me. 82% of respondents in the two locations in Malawi said this. You're saved if you do good works. Their salvation is built on what they do. Oh, what a horror for me as a person. If my salvation was dependent upon what I would do, I would be an utter miserable failure and I would be hopeless. But my hope is not in my ability. Who is a God like our God? Let me just read it to you from Psalms 103. Would you, would you look over there in Psalms 103? Because you see this passage, that's not a new passage. The very first time that this is said is actually in Exodus chapter 15. After Moses has crossed the Red Sea, he sings a song. And it starts off with, who is a God like our God? It became incorporated into their Passover services. And David wrote a song about it. And Psalms 103 is to be used in their Passover services at their time at the table. It was to be used. Let me just read a little bit. Because I personally... Psalms 103 is probably my favorite psalm in the entire Bible. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed, who made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. Sorry. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Who is a God like our God? Who pardons all of our iniquities? Who tramples our sins? And who throws them into the sea? That's the God that I serve. And that's the God that you can know.